I will mention you, of course, as well. Um, now, without much further ado, I would like uh, to welcome um, Dr. Mohamed Al-Shumali, the founding director of the International Institute for Islamic Studies in Hong and the director of the Islamic Center in England, or of England. Um, he's also a graduate of the uh, Islamic Seminaries of Hong um, Father Edison and myself have been privileged enough to visit these uh, seminaries. Um, uh, most impressive trip for us. Um, he has also conducted a lot of research uh, um, with other uh, interreligious dialogue uh, institutions, and we are very glad to have him here today uh, to talk to us. Thank you very much, Dr. In the name of God, the compassionate, the merciful, I am very grateful to God the Almighty for giving me this opportunity to be here again with members of Catholic Shia Dialogue. We were here in September 2017, and we had two half-day programs at Tangaza University, and we very much enjoyed the depths of discussion that we had here. And thanks to God, the promises that we made to each other, we managed to keep, and I found in Tangaza University faculty deep commitment to work for unity. So I am proud of you and I am very grateful to the friendship, to brotherhood and to the unity that you have rendered to us and I hope you have found also in us uh, humble and uh, open brothers who are ready to work to you, with you for unity. I would like to also mention uh, uh, something sad that happened. When we were here last time, we had with also Abbot Timothy Wright, with whom we started Catholic Shia Dialogue about 20 years ago. Unfortunately, he passed away. So I hope his spirit is with us. But I am grateful that Father Dr. Maximilian, who is a member of our team, is with us, especially after he recently finished his PhD in Pisa. So uh, there is a sad memory, but also it's compensated by presence of Dr. Maximilian. My theme, as you know, is the concepts of religion and the book in the Quran as foundations of unity. Before I enter into my discussion, I like to say that although this is a very deep theological topic, and I am happy to engage with any uh, Muslim or non-Muslim uh, colleague who do Islamic studies about the argument and justification for my position, but I would like to say this is something which is not just a result of my theological reflections. 
This is also a result of my life and my own spirituality and my own relation with God that has helped me reach this point. Maybe if I was just sitting in a library, still I could have come to this conclusion, but I'm not sure. So what I am going to say is something that I have felt it and I have experienced it. And at the same time, I have found it theologically very plausible position. And indeed, it would be very strange for me if someone thinks in a different way. Sometimes people ask me, are all Muslims thinking like you? I say not necessarily, but I don't see any reason why they should not think the same way. So it's not that there's anything that stops people to believe like this, but maybe people need time or something in their life to give them this kind of approach. First, I would like to start with a misconception that we have. Whenever we study religions, we take any book, any course, normally the way religions, and I am mostly concerned today about Abrahamic religions, are introduced to us is that as if we are dealing with totally separate religions, and each at a certain point in the history was founded by a specific founder. Many, many people have this idea that Islam is founded by Prophet Muhammad, Christianity is founded by Jesus, and Judaism by Moses. Or some want to go earlier, say Judaism started, for example, from the time of Jacob. But the idea is this. We have different religions and different starting points. And between these religions are thick partitions and walls. Sometimes it gets even worse and this partitioned mentality comes even to the way we understand people from different schools or denominations of the same religion. So sometimes maybe Shia or Sunni Muslims or Catholics and Protestants, even despite their common religion, they find it very difficult to believe that the fellow Christian or Muslim from another school belongs to the same religion. Sometimes they know they don't believe in my religion. They are totally different. Maybe even sometimes, unfortunately, because of short-sightedness, we consider people who don't belong to our religion better than people who are in different denominations of our own religion. Sometimes, maybe some Muslims prefer, if you are not belonging to other sect, than being another religious community. So, we have inherited, unfortunately, this kind of mentality that we think religions, in the way that we understand today, started the same way and God planned them the same way. 
But this is not the way the Quran talks about religions. And as I said, I am concerned with Abrahamic religions today. When we look at the Quran, and in particular, I want to draw your attention to two concepts the concept of book, the concept of religion, kitab, and deen. We see that in both cases, the Quran gives us totally different image. We don't have many religions, and God has not sent many books. This is my claim. First, I start with the concept of books. In the Quran, we have two ways of referring to heavenly or divine books. You know, some books are mentioned in the Quran by name, but these are not many. Torah, Gospel, Quran, Psalms, Sof for Ibrahim. These are mentioned by names, but we know there are much more books that are not introduced by names in the Quran. Also, some prophets are mentioned by names, but the Quran says there are many that we have not mentioned. There are stories to you. So, sometimes the Quran refers to these books by using plural form. Kutub. Kutub is the plural form for kitab. For example, we have a beautiful passage in the Quran about Lady Mary. Of course, we have many passages in the Quran about Mary. The Quran actually talks about Mary more than the Bible. But in one particular passage, when the concept of books is mentioned, God says, وَصَدَّقَتْ بِكَلِمَاتِ رَبِّهَا وَكُتُوبِهِ Mary affirmed the words of her Lord and the books of her Lord and was one of the obedient. And you know, this is the same context in which God introduces Mary as an example for all believers. So here we have Mary affirming books of her Lord. It's plural. We have also in a general way for all believers that they affirm all messengers and books. The messenger believes in what has been revealed to him. And also the same with the believers. The believers also believe in God and His books and His messengers. We don't discriminate against any messenger. We have to believe in all messengers. There have been 124,000 prophets. If I deny even one of them, I am not a Muslim. Even I say I deny one of them that I don't know, but I don't want to accept that one because I was born, for example, in some locality or had this, I don't know, background 
No. I have to believe in all of them. So, in these two cases, I gave you examples of verses in which the book is used in a plural form. But what is interesting is the Quran also uses the book in a singular way. For example, the very famous one is the one that you all know. قُلْ يَا أَحْلَ الْكِتَابِ تَعَالَوْا إِلَىٰ كَلِمَةٍ سَوَاهِ بَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَهُ Tell all people of the book, not يَا أَحْلَ الْكُتُبِ Not people of the books, people of the book. Unfortunately, we don't pay attention to this point. Why God says the people of the book, not the people of the books? But it becomes more clear in another verse. God says to the prophet, if they reject you, and if they deny you, reject you, this has happened to previous messengers. And then it says, لَقَدْ جَاءَتْهُمْ رُسُلُّهُمْ بِالْبَيَّنَاتِ وَالزُّبُرِ this is very important. The messengers brought people manifest signs by Yanar, clear signs. Wasubu scriptures. But Walkitabil Munir. An illuminating book. Not Walkutubil Munira. Rusul is plural. Bayanat is plural. Zubur is plural. But when it comes to Kitab, it's Al-Kitab Why? Unfortunately, this has not received enough attention. Why sometimes the Quran talks about the book and sometimes about the books. Of course, even if we don't have any explanation, still the fact that sometimes the Quran talks about all these entities as one book is enough to give us a different understanding compared to what is available. But it's very clear from the Quran itself that when it comes to what God has designed and sent down, it's Kitab. When it comes to what is in the hands of people and minds of people, it is Kutub. We look at Torah and Injil and Quran as books. But God looks at them as representations of one book, which is indeed not available to us except those who are very purified. Because we have these manifestations of a hidden book. This Quran, the Gospel, the Torah, they all come down 
from the original book, which is the hidden book, which is with God. And only the people who are purified have access to it. لا يمسه إلا المطهرون So we have one book. So sometimes I use this example. I say, Torah, Gospel, the Quran are different editions of the same title. You know, you have a book, you have an encyclopedia that sometimes has different editions. But one author and one title and one purpose and one essence, God never rewrites himself. It's a mistake if you think God writes a book and then says, now we have to rewrite, we have to change. No. It's all one plan of God, but He gives humanity gradual exposure to what He has for us. This is about the concept of the book, about religion. In the case of religion, actually, it's easier to come to this conclusion. But there is a misconception also here, so I have to clarify. In the Quran, din or religion is never used in plural form. So although in Arabic we have al-adyan, religions, but in the Quran we have religion only. And there is only one religion. The only case that you come across two religions is when we are dealing with Sodo religion. It's a very important concept. In Surah Kafirun, God says to the Prophet, قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ لَا أَعْبُدُ مَا تَعْبُدُ Many people unfortunately think when the Quran talks about kafir, it means any non-Muslim. Any non-Muslim is kafir. But this is not Quran. Quran has its own clear terminology. Christians and Jews are not kafir. Kafir in the Quran according to Allah who is one of the best commentators of the Quran in the first volume of Al-Mizan he says most of the cases in the Quran Kafir is the one who has kufr al-juhud the one who deliberately denies and rejects and fights the truth and that is someone like Abu Lahab Abu Jahl, those who are familiar with history of Islam, they know. These are not Christians, these are not Jews. These are the people who have no regard except for position, for money. And they were there to do everything possible to stop people practicing faith. Not many people are kafir in the Quranic concept. Because kafir in this concept is the one 
who denies while he is certain. I have a challenge for those who study Islam. I say, how many of Muslims have yaqeen, have certainty? Islamically, it's very difficult if I claim I have certainty. Yaqeen is something difficult to achieve. So, the Quran says, these kuffar have yaqeen. Means they are 100% sure that this is the truth. And still they deny it. So how many people in the world are people who are more convinced than most of the Muslims that this is the message of God? Not many. In any case, God says, Ya ayyuhal kafir. Oh people who know the truth, but fight the truth and fight the believers. I am not going to worship what you worship. I am not going to worship idols. You are not also going to worship one God. So, there is this exchange and God says to the Prophet, tell them at the big end, لَكُمْ دِينُكُمْ You have your religion, I have my own religion. This is the only time that you have another religion. Which indeed is not a religion. You can say it's a religion because this is their orientation in life. This is the way they live and behave. But indeed it's not a religion because true religion must be centered around God. You can say people who do whatever they like, this is their religion. You can say people worship their own ego. Yes, this is one way. But in reality, you have no religion unless you submit yourself to a transcendent reality. If I just try to please myself, I can say this is my religion, but indeed this is not a religion. You are just doing whatever you like. Religion means you have to commit to something higher than yourself. So, apart from this case, we have only one religion. What is that one religion? Some people say, okay, that one religion today is Islam. And that din and Allah is Islam. There is only one religion, and that is Islam. What is Islam? Islam that Prophet Muhammad introduced. No other religion is valid today. It's only Islam. But I think this is not the Quranic explanation. When we look at the Quran, it's very clear what Islam means. It's very clear what God has planned. I'm going to share with you some verses of the Quran and you would see that God actually has given us only one religion. All the prophets, all the messengers have called us towards the same God and this is religion. This is the religion that God is pleased with. Of course, when it comes to me and you today, when we are faced with different representation, different religions, different denominations, we have to do our best to find out the best representation. That is your search for the truth. 
That is your commitment to please God to the best of your capacity. But this doesn't mean that God has some different religion and some are abrogated, some are cancelled. No. The only thing that can be abrogated is not religion, is not even Sharia, which is the code of law. Only some rulings of Sharia are abrogated. People don't make distinction between these things. Religion is not abrogated. Sharia, which is code of law, is also not abrogated. Certain rulings of Sharia are abrogated. And therefore, those who are familiar with usul al-fiqh, we have a discipline developed by Muslim jurists, which helps us with the methodology of reasoning in jurisprudence. One of the principles, one of the rules that we have in usul al-fiqh is that if there is a law that you are sure this law was in effect in the time of Moses or Jesus or any prophets and you don't know what is Islamic judgment about this case you suppose that this law is still in effect this is a law in the time of Moses or Jesus and you don't know Islamically what is the position. You have asalatu adam al-nas. Means we have to suppose still the same law is in effect. Unless proved otherwise. If the sharia as a whole was cancelled, so we have to put it aside. We have to start from zero. But Islam doesn't say start from zero. Islam says you are part of a community. That has started from the time of Adam and you have the same tradition. Some rulings may have changed, but religion has not changed. And the code as a whole is not changed. Just fixation and changes of certain rulings. Even Islamically, it's very amazing. Even inside Islamic Sharia we have abrogation. Every Muslim knows that there were certain rulings in the time of the Prophet that later were abrogated or certain rulings which first didn't exist and gradually got introduced to Muslims. Muslims in Mecca didn't have many of the duties that they had in Medina. So changes of rulings can happen inside the same Sharia. It's not a big issue. So, God has only one religion and that is the religion of all prophets and messengers what is that that is to submit your face to God if I give you also the address chapter 4 Verse 125. Who is better in his or her faith than someone who submits his faith to God? You know, in Islam, Christianity, Judaism, we have this concept of 
Wadhullah, face of God. What is face of God? God has no physical body. God has no face in the sense of physical face. What do we mean by face of God? Face of anything. This is my explanation. Face of anything is that part or that aspect of something that if you turn to, you have the maximum encounter. What is the face of TV? You cannot have maximum encounter with TV when you are looking behind or on the side. What is the face of a computer? What is the face of a human being? When you look at someone eye to eye, face to face, you have maximum encounter. So what is face of God? The Quran says, face of God is everywhere. If you turn to Him, I don't need to go around and find God for maximum encounter. I should turn my heart so that I can have maximum encounter. So, what is faith? To turn your face to God. And if you are a believer, you turn your face to God in every aspect of your life. In your family life, personal life, busy life, business life, studies. Face of God can be sought in every aspect. Quran says, Aslama lillahi You must turn your face to God and do ihsan. Be benefactor, do good. It's impossible to think that you are a religious person and you just bring division and fight. You harm, you divide. This is not ihsan. What is ihsan? To bring love, charity, peace, respect, unity, development. This is ihsan. So if you are really turning towards God, you reflect light of God to people and you bring good to this earth. وَاتَّبَعَ مِلَّةَ إِبْرَاهِيمَ حَنِيفًا And follows the path of Abraham. You don't see Abraham as another religion, Moses another, no. We all follow Abraham. But Abraham himself was a follower of Noah. So, Noah was a follower of previous prophet. This is one line. Why Prophet Muhammad didn't give any name to this call? It's a mistake to think Prophet Muhammad called this religion Islam. Prophet Muhammad refused to give any name to this call. Because this call was to go back to the past of Abraham. Let's call ourselves what Abraham and Jacob and Ishmael used to call themselves. Islam here means submit yourself to God. Even the Quran says Moses said, I'm Muslim. 
How are you disciples of Jesus that you are Muslim? Muslim not in the sense that I am a Muslim, you are a Christian. Muslim in the sense that we all have to submit ourselves to God. Actually, maybe I am not a Muslim. I have been able to see Christian and Sunni Muslims who are better in their relationship with God than me as a Shia Muslim. I have to be humble. I should not think I am the best person who has access to God. I should not seek monopoly over God. If you are really a servant of God, you must see beauty in the relation of other people with God. You must be able to serve them. If God has given you the access and control to his gates, what do you do? I think many people, what do they do? Is they just lock the door and if someone from their own community comes, they secretly send them there. The rest of the, the door is closed. We have no capacity for you. We have already too many people. But if you are a true servant of God, not only you don't close the door, you go everywhere around and find people and encourage them to go to God, even if from another tradition. Let them connect to God, even if it's not through you and through your tradition. This is the problem that we have. We want people to connect to God through us. Actually, we want people to connect to us, even if we don't reach God, it's not important. Let them connect to us. But this is not the Quranic concept. We have one religion. And that is to overcome your ego and turn your face to God. And one of the most difficult challenges for faithful people is to see the face of God in other religious communities, in other places of worship. This is a challenge for you and me. If I go to a church or a mosque, how do I feel? And I go to a place in which people worship God, but not through my tradition. How do you feel? Do you feel that is a place which is strange? That is a place which is corrupt? Or do you feel at home? If you are a true lover of God, whenever and wherever someone calls God, you become happy. If someone calls your father by mistake or in any other language different from what you call your father, but he respects your father, they get together to commemorate the demise of your father, for example, or birth of your father, how do you feel? You don't say because you pronounce it differently or you have different understanding, I have no respect for you and you must stop this. No, from bottom of your heart you thank them. If we really love God, we should thank every person who brings people to God. And we should have maximum respect for any place of worship. Look at the Quran. The Quran says, 
Had it not been that God uses some people to stop others, synagogues, churches, monasteries, and mosques would have been destroyed. These are places God's name in these places are mentioned kathir, frequently. So if I am a Muslim and I see no value in church, or I'm a Christian, I see no value in mosque, I have to revisit my relation with God. I have to check my humility. I am not a servant of God. A servant of God serves every person who is trying to get to God. This is the meaning of serving God, otherwise God doesn't need my service. You have to find the real service to God through serving humanity. I have some more verses of the Quran about the concept of Deen al-Haq and other things, but I leave it for another time and I would like at the end just mention two points. One point. Another mistake that I think is a common mistake. Even among theologians, even among people who work for dialogue, is that they treat doctrines mathematically, numerically. For example, they give a list of commonalities, a list of disagreements. If you ask them, how close are Muslims and Christians? If they are fair, they give you a list. They believe in one God. They believe, for example, in revelation. They believe in reward and punishment, eternal life, this and that. And they have differences. For example, Muslims say Jesus is a prophet. Christians say son of God. They list. I think this is not doing justice. If you consider them equally, in my opinion, when you say they both believe in one God, that is more than 90%. If God is really central in your life, if another person believes in the same God, believes in the God of Abraham, how can you bring anything else equal to that and say this is one commonality and we have another difference. Nothing can be put next to God and nothing can be put next to believing God and love for God. Anything else should come under God, not next to God and not above God. I think we many times put things above God. We put our own tradition, our own denomination, our own sect, or our own religion, many times unknowingly above God. We don't let our love for God direct us. We want to direct God through our tradition. We say to God, whom you should love, whom you shouldn't love. We say to God, these are your people, these are not your people. This is your place of worship, that is not your place of worship. And we give right to ourselves. In the name of God, to destroy some places and build some other places.
God gave you this permission? So, this is one point. The second point, I think dialogue between Muslims and Christians is not a good term. It doesn't do justice. Dialogue is too little. Dialogue is too little. If a man and woman want to see whether they match each other to marry, they have dialogue. They go for a coffee, they talk, several meetings. But if you say marriage is dialogue, marriage is not dialogue. Dialogue is very a small part of marriage. Marriage is unity. Unity is more than dialogue. It's not our job that till end of dunya we have dialogue. Dialogue is to unite and then we have to work together. We are one family which is separated. We have to restore family. Dialogue is not enough. Dialogue is very basic step. Dialogue is something that you must have with every human being. Even people have no faith. You should have dialogue with them. Dialogue is a natural choice for human beings. But with Muslims and Christians, dialogue is too little. We must reach unity. And my understanding of unity is this. You keep your doctrines. It's not honest that you dilute or compromise about these differences. The only way to overcome differences is there is theological way to argue and be convinced. It's not to my hand or your hand to say we leave aside our differences. No. Till you are convinced what is the truth, you have to keep these differences. But these differences can be there and at the same time we can be united. If we believe that we have the same religion, the same tradition. I know you find it very difficult to say we have the same religion. Because you look at religion in the way we have inherited from textbooks. But I say we all try to love God and submit ourselves to God. If you all try to submit yourself to God, this is the same religion. This is the same tradition. Then we have different sub-traditions. Even inside each of them, we have tens of other understandings. But the main thing is, am I and are you happy to submit our desire, our will to God or not? Are we really humble to overcome our ego, even our sectarian and religious ego, and just try to please God or not? This is our religion. This is the path of all the prophets. So, what should we do? My suggestion is, and this is what we, thanks to God, have been able to experience with some of our Christian friends, is that you start with dialogue, but when you are united, then you both try to listen to God. 
So our dialogue would reach the point that you silence yourself and together listen to God. And we need to listen to God with both Muslim ear and Christian ear. I know some Muslims find it difficult, some Christians also find it difficult. Why I need the other ear? I can listen to God only through Muslim ear or Christian ear. No. God has spoken to humanity through different traditions, different saints, different scholarship. If you don't want to miss anything from God, you need to use as many ears which are available. For the time being, at least two years. Muslim ear and Christian ear. I know God sometimes talks to us through science, through arts. But for the time being, at least these two obvious religious traditions, we need to listen to God. But together. Because if I am listening to God alone, if I have not opened my heart and mind to listen to God, I miss many, many things. The only time that you can be sure that to the best of your capacity, you are not depriving yourself from some wisdom and inspiration and some light which comes from God is when you open your heart, when you open your mind, when you open your ears and try to get everything which might be from God. If you try to benefit from other believers in God in their experiences, in their wisdom, in their spirituality, actually, after reaching this point, many times you don't feel that who is Muslim, who is Christian. We are Muslims and Christians when we look at each other. But if you look at God, you don't see God is Muslim or Christian. Of course, I know many people have tried to convert God. The way me and you think about God is a converted God in many cases. But if you really let God be what He is, then we don't see our marks on God. I sometimes say we have two ways that people practice love for God. Some people love God in the way that they love their cars, their house, and personal things that belong to them. This is mine, I love it, and you have no right to use it unless I give you permission. God is mine. You don't have any right. Don't look at God. This approach turns God, maybe unconsciously. I'm not saying they know this. This approach turns God into a personal, tribal, sectarian God. Because if God becomes my God, then for that God, I am the most important person. 
My people are the most important people. My nation is the most important. This approach can lead to apartheid, can lead to fascism or Nazism, can lead to Daesh and ISIS. But if you do the opposite, instead of we bring God down to a human level and turn him into a person like us, we rise towards God. Then what happens? Then you no longer would give a special favor to yourself or your group or your nationality or your continent. So either we make God a small or you become godly and you can be universal. A man or woman of God is selfless and because it's selfless can accommodate everyone. But God of Egoist person is not universal. It's tribal or national or sectarian. I hope that this new institute for interreligious dialogue and a study of Islam, which I feel is a work of God, and I hope all the way through it remains with sincerity and humility, a work of God would be an example for this approach to religion and God. Muslims, Christians, Jews, all believers in God should really feel united under God. It's only in God that we can perfectly unite. And it's only with unity that we can remain under God. If you are not united, you are not under God 100%. I thank all the organizers, the vice chancellor, the head of the institute, all my colleagues here for organizing this, for taking this initiative, and I pray to God Almighty to bless all the faculty and the staff, all the guests present here with his light, wisdom, and love. Thank you very much. I think after all this richness,